Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Emmy Faust, who is a successful entrepreneur, successful mother, successful wife, and also the founder of Female Founders Rise, an initiative that's shining the light on female founders. I took a lot away from this one. I'm sure you will too. I will give you the heads up. We had a few technical issues, but I think with the power of my amazing editor, Phoebe, I think you won't notice, or if you do, it won't be too much of a hindrance and definitely won't take away from all the amazing value and stories that Emmy shares. If this is your first time here, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you're going to. Let me know your favorite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview everywhere, and don't forget to hit subscribe. You know how important it is. It's particularly, do you know what, if you get some real value out of it or if you like what Emmy has to say and you know you come away from it thinking, do you know what, good episode. A, subscri- a subscribe or a ratings or a star review or everything, not much to ask is it, wherever you listen to this would be would make my day. Anyway, it would also mean the world to me and I assume Emmy too, if you share this episode far and wide, there is probably at least one person you'll think of when listening to it, although I thought of several. Um, while I was recording it that would benefit from hearing it so make sure to let them know anyway enough of me rambling enjoy this chat with Emmy Faust and myself now onto the podcast Emmy Faust a very very warm welcome to 10Q interview in the interest of time we're going to kick straight off with question number one and that is you meet a stranger and they ask you what you do what is it you're most likely to say to them I always say I'm mum of four because that's like probably the most fun challenging and interesting part of my life and then what I do probably depends on what I'm focusing on because it feels like I'm you know doing lots of things but I would say I'm founder of Female Founders Rise which is bringing together female founders I'm an angel investor I'm an advisor and yeah that's basically me at the moment has changed a bit quite a bit recently but how did you get into, so I, I came across you from your female founder stuff. I've seen you posted on LinkedIn and I, I'm kind of really curious how you sort of came about starting that, what the intentions are, plans, goals, dreams, etc. Mm. So I've set up scaled and sold my own businesses, um, set up my first business when I was 25 with my co-founder Ed, been on Dragon's Den, done loads of interesting, fun, challenging disastrous good stuff sold my businesses made some money had a six-week stint at google didn't enjoy it and left and then i did some consultancy and i've been because i didn't really know what to do with myself when i sold my business and so i've been consulting for probably eight years and then i basically got ill i had long covid had breakdown stroke burnout stroke you know everything just went bad And I realized that my consultancy was really affecting my mental health and my recovery because it was so stressful. So in summer last year, summer 2022, I decided to stop my consultancy. I took a month off work and I decided to sell a house that I bought when I sold my business in Wales. So when I sold my business, I bought a house in Wales almost to like have something to show for my hard work. Yep. So I sold that and with the profits I'd made on that, I decided I'd invest it into female founders because I'd, you know, seen and been part of this ecosystem and understood that, you know, female founders are struggling to get funding. And I wanted to sort of put my money where my mouth was. And for a long time, I've been also at the same time thinking about how can I, I had this idea for female founders rise, but like 
I always was scared to sort of niche down to just female founders. I don't know why, but then suddenly I had a, a few experiences with some sort of pale male stales, shall we call them, who just did my head in. They totally ignored some fantastic advice I was trying to give them. And I was just like, enough's enough. I am actually happy to focus on women. I see that there is bias. I see there are problems. Only in a small, you know, small percentage. Most men are fantastic. And we've got loads of men on board at Female Founders Rise. But I was just like, yeah, I am going to commit to that. And I'm going to commit to making change and to help change happen. And um, so I just got on board with Female Founders Rise. And it's grown to a community of about 1,500 people. And there's just some really amazing energy and excitement around it and um it's really cool i'm loving it okay we'll come to female founders in a minute but i'm gonna i just want to ask you about your consultancy because as i know you've done a lot of podcasts recently and i imagine a lot of them are talking about female founders rise which is nothing wrong with that but i'm gonna come to that second lots of things we're talking about lots of things but yeah that's been part of it but feel free to ask me about other stuff that's so i'm curious as the process of shutting down your consultancy and the reason I'm curious is because I imagine there's a lot of people who find themselves in a position with their own business their own endeavors where they're I don't know they put a lot of time and effort into it and there's that sunk cost fallacy where they they, they do not want to sort of end it yeah I think can that you, is the case um can you share a bit about that why you or why and how you went about doing it like yeah so I haven't totally shut it down so with my consultancy which is called fast house my husband who had lost various jobs is now consulting himself so it was very easy he just I just said I've got this shell Faust House I do my consultancy so he now uses that for his consultancy Um, and I have one client who is a very small lovely legal client and he is super easy he's the most respectful person I've ever worked with we have an hour a week and he pays me on time and he's really lovely and it's basically like a great gig so he's the only person I work with totally low-key but also like I can just bring so much value that it feels like a no-brainer for both of us with the other consultancy like I had quite well-paid advisory role but um that was one of the things that was really not working out for me and I just found like constantly the the sort of work that my husband's doing for example is like advisory or consultancy on a long-term basis yeah where he's almost like you know part-time part of the team contracting you know sort of for various different businesses but mine was much more like ad hoc doing their strategy and plan and then giving it to them and then maybe helping oversee the implementation but that really wasn't my role it was more like I'd set the strategy and so often that was like project based and then it would be done and yep. it it's very hard like doing all that work running a business constantly looking for new business it's lonely as well also doing the you know you're not doing I've got an accountant but you know you're still having to liaise with them make sure invoices get done make sure and then I suddenly like employing suppliers to like help me do this and help me do that and managing them was just like a total nightmare I mean I I still haven't found a VA or somebody that can actually help me because I always find it's just quicker to do it myself and quite often I suppose if you don't have the intricacies and the knowledge of something, it's difficult to write. E- you know, I can't really get someone to write an email newsletter for me. I definitely wouldn't get someone to write my LinkedIn post because I've tried to sort of outsource that in the past and no one has the knowledge that I do. So how could they write a post and how yeah, could they yeah. do it in my, you know, my tone or anything? Yeah, yeah. So I did actually find that quite 
you know, it's almost quite stressful. Uh, yeah, so I really just didn't enjoy that, actually. And I feel like as a consultant, you're not in the company, sort of on the side. And even though people are paying you, they don't always do the, the work that you recommend. And then you feel like you're bashing your head against a brick wall. And for me, it wasn't just about getting paid money, you know, because I've exited businesses and I've made money. So I'm not, you know, desperate for cash. For me, it was being paid what I, you know, for my value. I want to be paid my value, but I also want to deliver good work and make an impact and help people and see my advice and strategy being put to use. And, And I found that quite hard if you do work and then people just either ignore it or don't do it or I don't know. I just had a couple of difficult people in a client, basically. So it sounds like it was a fairly easy decision to make, was it? Well, it was, I mean, at the beginning, you know, so they're paying me five grand a month. And so I spoke to a few people and they're like, oh, that's such good money, you know, five grand a month. And mm. even, and I, and I was sort of mentioning, you know, it was impacting my my mental health quite a lot. But people would be sort of like, oh, just, you know, just don't worry about it. Just take the 5K and, you know. But for me, like, I couldn't do that. Like, for me, yes, it's five grand. That's fantastic. But my mental well-being is worth much more than that. And actually, that was part of the whole part thing with me having a breakdown and, you know, just yeah. everything getting too much. And at that point, I was like, I don't care. You know, the money is, if you're ill, money's irrelevant, isn't it? You can't work yeah. anyway. So, yeah, that was so good. I basically just said to them you know I, I basically just at that point said enough's enough I'm not going to do this anymore I'm going to take the summer off and we'll see how things are after the summer um I also because I'd had long COVID and I'd had a breakdown and I'd finally found out what was wrong with me and I started on anti-anxiety meds and part of long COVID is that stress is such a big factor that you've got to really try and do everything you can to reduce it yeah. and I think once I got that diagnosis I was like well why would I put myself in a massively stressful situation I don't want to do that anymore and so that's why I just changed everything I'm doing okay so let's talk about female founders rise then so as you know I had a a previous guest of mine Caitlin is a female founder and during that podcast she was telling me about all the hurdles that female founders face on a day-to-day basis of which I held my hands up in that podcast I had no idea yeah and I was stunned totally stunned you know they just so what's what's your plan with female founders and I was also do you know what I was also stunned like I think my first business we went into Dragon's Den we got funding I did most of the pitch and it was quite it seemed quite easy and yes I'd had people making comments in board meetings and yes I'd had people not taking me seriously but you know what most of the time I was so young and I was naive I hadn't even sort of cottoned on to the fact that it was that it was I was a woman I I I mean I had cottoned on to the fact that some comments that were made were inappropriate because I was a woman because it was all around like my brain going to mush after I had a baby and stuff like that but you know I think I hadn't sort of I I hadn't realized that because obviously we've been quite successful we hadn't been looking for funding and also I had a male co-founder yeah but yeah like it's just I think it's really the more that I've got into the startup ecosystem and worked with founders and read all the reports, the more that it kind of got to me. And it was literally like last year, I was just like, this this is just not right. I mean, how can, it just feels so strange yeah. that like- you know what I find strange, the strangest thing about it, Caitlin was telling me, and you can, I guess you'll back me up or back her up on this, was actually the stats behind successful women versus successful men. And actually women- I can't remember what the number was, but are 
theoretically a lot more successful in starting a business than a man is. And for me, that was like, well, that's an obvious cheat code to any VC or angel investor. And she's like, yeah, I know, but no one really, they just mm. want, to, I think they want to invest in similar people or something. Yeah, and you know, like, I was, I sort of thought, right, I'm going to crack this, I'm going to, you know, again, my naivety, and I thought, there's obviously a problem, and there's just a solution, and the, the solution would be to get more female founders in front of the VCs and angels, because I kind of thought maybe they just weren't able to sort of connect with them, or they weren't meeting them, and so yeah. I thought, through Female Founders Rise, I've got this big community, and then I'll get the VCs in, and I'll sort of connect them. I don't think it is that much of that is definitely part of it like if we can get more and this is one of my plans if we can get more female founders in rooms with VCs and angels and investors and people with money who can open doors that's obviously going to help because a warm introduction is something like I don't know something like 10 times more likely to convert or something like that um or you're more you know you're you're so much more likely to get a meeting sorry probably with a warm introduction than a cold introduction cold email or whatever but yeah it's just it's, it is the whole thing is just bonkers and I don't know why it is and I did this whole thing like I'm gonna I'm gonna find the reason you know I I, I must know there must be a reason and I'm gonna sort that out there's just so many reasons there's like the conscious no. bias there's the unconscious bias there's you know only 14% of um, businesses in the UK that are set up are set up by women so there's way less women in the funnel um, way less of those female founded businesses are VC backable um, because often women set up more sort of purpose-led businesses they are setting up businesses maybe like a bit like female founders rise where we're really trying to like help someone and we're not so egotistical potentially you know all these things are things that come out we also yeah. sometimes struggle with imposter syndrome and our confidence we're also much more conservative and realistic about our uh, future forecasts and things like that whereas guys will just go in and like you know, give it the big, you know, look yeah. at me, I'm going to create a unicorn. And VCs want to hear that because they've got to deliver on their fund. They've got to deliver like a hundred times return or whatever it might be. So mm. if they hear a guy saying, yes, I'm going to be a unicorn, I'm going to deliver this. For the VC, that's less risky than a woman who's totally realistic, who says, I'm going to deliver this and probably will deliver it and more. But, mm. you know, so there's so many, um, there's so many reasons um, and I think a lot of those I'm trying to help in some way through female founders' rights. There's also another problem that a lot of um, people working in venture capital are men, you know, yeah. old, you know, not old white men, but white males, um, especially the ones with the power making the decisions on who, who gets the investment. So there's work being done where quite a lot of younger women are getting into venture capital, but a lot of them don't necessarily have the, the final say. In fact, a lot yeah. of them don't. So I think there's a big piece of work to be done there getting more women into venture capital it's quite hard to get into venture capital though like I basically decided as part of this whole project I'll set up my own VC fund again totally naive thought oh why not you know why can't I do it um I can do marketing I can do growth I've had successful businesses so I did this accelerator about sort of getting into VC and launching a fund and you know within four weeks I put pulled out because I just realized I'd be bashing my head against a brick wall I'm not, I haven't worked in venture capital because I'm yeah. a woman, so I haven't worked there. Um, I haven't done any investments. You know, I've done some recent, I've done lots of recent angel investments, but I haven't had any of them long enough to show proof that I've got, yeah. you know, I can pick good investments. And also you need to invest, you need to have had those angel investments on your thesis. So like whatever your fund is, mine was going to be 
female founders running impact-led businesses working on the UN Sustainable Development Goals, I would therefore have had to have all, either worked in a firm, fund, fund doing that, or... Does it, does it need to be that specific? Yeah, it does. You need to literally... The fact that I've run successful businesses, the fact that I've worked in marketing and I've seen so many VC-backed businesses, angel-backed businesses waste loads of money on marketing. And my thought was like, that's my USP. I could go and help all the people that I invest in to make sure that they don't waste their money and they're more successful. But apparently that's just like not of interest. And lastly, I don't know the LPs, the people that put money into the VCs. I don't know lots of people with lots of money. I've got, you know, I know angel investors in my network who who are putting five ten grand in here and there but i don't know someone who would like help me yeah help me create a fund and then on top of that there's a huge expense which is obviously um you know again a barrier to entry just to set it up it's like a hundred grand or something and then you have to sort of manage it for 10 years which with four kids i i can't commit to something like that so you know there's it feels like so, so in my head, I was like, I can sort out this problem of women not getting funding. I can set up a fund, I can get money, and I can fu- funnel it into women. But the yeah. reality of trying to do that is like very hard. And so it's almost like, is that another way that women are sort of? Would Would it be equally as hard if it was if you did it for men as well instead? If I was a man doing it, you mean? Or... Yeah. If If I was a man trying to try and set up a VC fund. Yeah. I suppose it probably would also be hard. It would it would depend on your networks and whether you're connected with LPs. Yeah. And you, I mean, also, do you get taken more seriously? So you've got to think as well, the LPs, the people putting money into the VC, they're all pale male sales, a lot of them. They're all the old people with loads of cash. And they yeah. generally want to Im- invest their money in the VCs, in people that look like them, who are going to probably deliver a return. And they, they can be like, and also, they've worked with those guys for ages, so they're like, oh, okay, it's safe, you know, putting my money into that VC fund. Why would I go and risk putting money with Emmy? I mean, and they probably don't care about investing in female founders. So I would have to find the LPs, the the, the investors above the who would invest into my VC, who yeah. really care specifically about my vision. There's probably not that many of them. Yeah. It's kind of tough. I mean, it's obviously it's hard for me to sort of empathise because I'm not a woman, but it's just I remember when I had Caitlin on and I had um, Anna Strobu on, who's another female founder, and just the stories they tell me, I was just like, oh. It is a bit upsetting, and I sort of also say to the founders, like, let's not, you know, we could keep just regurgitating all the stats, and actually that just makes me feel quite shit and makes me feel a bit sad and a bit like, yeah. mm, you know. We don't we don't need to keep hearing these stats. We know that we just need action. We just need to see things changing. And I do sometimes feel like I'm bashing my head against a brick wall because, like, what can I do? You know, I'm not. I can't. I can't do most things. But I think if everyone does little things, and if yeah. we bring more awareness, and you know, I'm just trying to do one thing by bringing female fans together for support, for community, for education, skills, expertise. Actually, I'm trying to do quite a lot. But like, if I do my bit, and then everyone else is doing their bit you know, in the VC space or... And I think over time it will change. Have, have you seen any shift, like, in recent history? Well, there's, there's not been any shift in the last few years. That's the thing. Like, even there's even though there's sort of new initiatives, like getting people, getting businesses or VC funds and people to sign up to the Women in Investing Code and, like, you know, however many people have signed up to that and every year there's more and more, but then there's no increase in VC funding. 
But also remember, like VC funding, which is what you get, you hear the stats on, that is just mm. one particular type of funding. And yeah. most businesses, male and female businesses, aren't right for venture capital. Obviously, a lot less angel money goes to women as well. And another reason that is, is a lot of VCs and angels have got this real, everyone wants to invest in B2B SaaS. I didn't realize this until I got into it. B2B SaaS, B2B SaaS, you know, it's like a, an obsession because that's where yeah. they think they're going to get 100 times return. Typically, women aren't setting up B2B SaaS businesses. I was with one last night, actually, and she's raising at the moment. And that's brilliant. But, you know, a lot of women are setting up product-based businesses or they're setting up femtech-based businesses, which some quite a lot of VCs might not necessarily understand if it's about the menopause or if it's about fertility or if it's about periods or endometriosis or whatever it might be. You know, it's like a subject they're not familiar with. Yeah. So, um. I think that's the thing, right? I was saying to Caitlin, exactly that subject is if you had a bit of a a, a VC who's a little bit curious or a little bit out there, it seems like a goldmine of activity that the rest of the VCs aren't looking at. And there are VCs looking at that. There are forward thinking VCs. There are VCs who are focused on helping women. But the problem is, remember, the VCs are led by the LPs, the investors in them. So, you know, if they can't get investment into their fund because the people that are investing in it don't believe in their thesis, they won't be able to grow a fund. So what I hadn't realized is a lot of this is led by the people above the VC, the people investing into the VCs, which are called LPs, limited partners. So the limited partners almost sit at the top of the the, the tree. And yeah. And if they're if they're if they're able saying we want to invest in black founders, female founders, underrepresented founders, there'd be loads of money pouring into the funds that are trying to support those. Yeah. But they want to just invest in the funds that they already know, like and trust, I suppose. Yeah, I feel like it's a don't get depressed by it though. I have been feeling like bash bashing my head against a brick wall, but then I spoke to this amazing guy who runs Alma Angels, which is a collective of um, angels that support female founders. He's called uh, David, I think. And he just said it's a marathon, not a sprint. I think that mm-hmm. was really helpful for me to hear that, that like, I, I you know, I'm not going to make any meaningful change in a year. I mean, the meaningful change I'll make is women feeling connected and feeling like they want to run their businesses and feeling happy and feeling supported. I'm not going to prob- and hopefully more of them raising funding and them being better at running their businesses. But I, I don't feel like I'm going to be able to change the statistics. This is a fact that, and I will word this carefully, but it's a fact that there, women are up against this kind of unconscious, conscious bias, whatever you want to call it, and these challenges. Is that like a bit of a, I'm going to prove them wrong? Is there any of that there that actually gives them a, a, bit, of a bit of a lift? I don't think like, so. No. I think women generally are lacking confidence. They're not used to pitching. They're not used to these situations with these guys. They're desperate. You know, they really need the funding. These men yeah. have got the power and they're going in there. And, you know, you, you so need that money to run your business and the future's in their hands. And I don't think, you know, I think it that it would be great if we could go in with that and actually we're talking and um, we did a session yesterday with Dan from Superseed who's a VC and he's one of the advisory board members and um, we were talking basically doing a masterclass stroke Q&A for everyone about what is VC are you VC backable and he was saying that he was like saying you've got to go into your pitches feeling really confident feeling almost like you're interviewing the VC you know do you want them yeah. involved in your business 
but it is quite hard to be like that. Yeah, I can imagine. Hmm. I can imagine. I'm going to move on to the next question now, only because obviously you're conscious of your time, but also this is, I mean, we could probably talk for hours about VCs hmm. and, and the yeah. it, but I know you don't know what the question number two is. I, I Are we only on question number two? We're going to need to rattle through these if we're doing well, 10. No, no. I have to go in 25 minutes. So Question, question one is always the longest one. Okay, so that's fine. I'll be, uh, I'll be quick. Question number two is about if you weren't doing what you were doing and money is no object, what would it be? But I suspect I already know the answer. I would be doing it because yeah. I have got money and I'm doing what I love. I would probably, if I had more money, you know what the interesting thing is, is like I'm running this as a super, I was going to say if I had more money, I'd get people to help me, but I'm almost like running this as a super lean startup so that I'm trying to like illustrate how to do it yeah. in a super lean way. So like almost like not use all my money to just be like, oh, I'm just going to launch another startup. I've got loads of cash. I'll just do that. It's almost like I'm trying to do it as if I had no like money. Case and... study, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I've done. You know, I've done a LinkedIn page, Google form, Eventbrite, Canonly, those all three. I've made a bit of money from events and sponsoring events is basically covering its costs at the moment. And at some point I will generate revenue from it. But yeah, I'm doing what I love at the moment. So okay. hopefully that will continue. Sure it will. Tell me something about you that not many people know. Oh, okay. Well, it used to be that I went on Dragon's Den. Wait, when was that? About 20 years ago. So that was pretty early on. In it was the... really early on. And I didn't tell many people about that. I mean, I don't tell many people about that now. So most people, uh, until recently, because the, we, we failed. So it was a bit embarrassing. But what else could I tell you that most people don't know? Gosh, I mean, also I trained to be trained to be a Pilates teacher, so I'm like a qualified mat and reformer Pilates teacher. In fact, I've got my reformer just down there. But um, okay. I got pretty bored. That's of the machine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. bored of teaching that within you know by the. T I, I actually only trained to do that because I wanted to be really good, so I could sort of teach myself. Yeah. But and I did the teaching, but I mean, it was just so for me, it was so boring. I wasn't using my brain, and then I, it just made me realize almost immediately that. I need to be doing this, you know, like the strategy, the growth, the that's what makes me happy. There's an interesting philosophy, right? How to get good at something is to learn how to teach it. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. I mean, I bought a reformer and then I didn't know what I was doing. And there's all these springs. It's like blue springs, white springs, red springs. There's five of them. You can put the foot at foot by in different places. And I remember I'd go to the Pilates lessons and I'd try and like record what they were doing on my phone so that I could then go home and do it. But then I couldn't remember what the exercises were. I couldn't remember anything. So I was just like, why don't I just, you know, I'd sold my business. I had some money and I had some time. And I actually, at that point, I did need a bit of a break. So I just got super fit, super lean, super healthy, you know, that was like my core focus. But then I realised I wasn't using my brain and that for me was like the critical bit. Do you still do Pilates now? Not enough. Okay. I have a teacher who I have one lesson a week with, a private lesson, and he was the teacher that when I was learning, he I sort of did some of my... Um, I did I taught in his studio so and he knows my body like amazing one and I've had you know I've had four kids and my body's like falling apart so he's amazing I've got this reformer here and I don't use it enough I, sh I should be doing it like every day between meetings and stuff but for some reason I don't do it well time right it's just it is time I think it's also just you know if someone came here and was like, right, Emmy, come on, get on the phone for 20 minutes, I'd do it. But it's like, there's all, yeah, like you said, it's time. There's so many other things to do. You know, I've got like yeah. piles of washing, four kids, my office is a tip. 
but I'd always rather do work stuff like this than tidy up my office. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm the same. And my wife often says to me stuff like that. Oh, what am I up to? Or have I got time? Or am I... I just said this, I work for myself, there's always something to do. Exactly. That's the thing, isn't there? There's always yeah. something to do. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about one of the most pivotal moments in your life. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know if this is one of the most, but this is quite a pivotal moment. I was basically, after I sold my business, I set up another business, which was online antenatal classes. And I'd had this idea to do online antenatal classes because I'd had four babies. And there's this thing called NCT, which is really expensive. It's like 250 yeah. quid and you can meet future mums. So I thought this is the way it's going to go. I've done NCT. Yeah. I thought this is the way it's going to go. Anyway, to cut a very long story short, I found someone who I sort of knew through a friend who was doing it, got her involved, got her dad who was an obstetrician involved and basically gave them both a third of the company, made them both directors. It just wasn't... A, I got investment from a one of my old clients who just was like, whatever you do, Emmy, I'm going to invest in you. He's just believed that anything I did was going to be huge. And I realized pretty soon after that, that it just wasn't going to work. And it felt like this massive noose around my head. And it was quite interesting. I went to a sound bath. Have you ever been to a sound bath? No. Do you know what that is? No. It's like sound meditation. So basically you like lie on, it was in a yoga studio. So like you're lying on a yoga mat and they've got these yeah. massive, massive, like huge, probably like, the width, the circle is like the same diameter as me. Is that right? Is that the right way to explain it? Yeah. Yeah. And basically they like bang, they sort of bang this thing and this drum and it makes these amazing noise and they have all these different things like making noise, but it's basically like, it's not a drum, like a, a drum in a band. It's like almost like a, a massive. You can feel the, feel the sound waves. Yeah. And it's like a massive symbol, but it's not, it's not jarring. It's like this beautiful kind of music. Um, so anyway, it's a sound meditation. And I had the most vivid, first of all, I had these really vivid like screenshot photos of my ex-boyfriend from like 20 years ago or something, which was really weird. And then secondly, I had the most like sort of choking and visualization of this business and the whole situation. And I just came up there and I was like, that's it. I'm over it. Gave the my well tried to give and, and in the end managed to give the investor back his money and I just said to the other people involved you can just have the bit you have the business you, you have it it's yours I just I just knew that the future of that was going to be very stressful and not what I signed up for at all what they done with it I think it's kind of it's still there I think but I'd sort of planned to do some, I think what I was planning or hoping for, because, you know, I, I come from a digital background, was something quite different. And I think um, one of the things that I sort of struggled with was all the sort of legalities around, like, helping people with childbirth and advice and things like that and not really knowing, like, for, for me it was always just like, well, I just wanted to be so sure that everything was would be... I didn't want that pressure, basically, of thinking, this isn't my area of expertise, the advice bit, but if you gave someone the wrong advice, it could be awful. And I think I just realised that that wasn't for me. You know, I want to know that about, the like, for example, with Female Founders Rise, the advice that I'm giving, it's my expertise. It's a bit, I'm running a business based on my knowledge, whereas the 
antenatal class stuff and the health you know that I'm I'm not an expert in that does that make sense Mm. but I would say that was pivotal and you know what it was just like it was amazing this kind of energy this power that like came to me it must have been like intuition or something and previously I didn't listen to my intuition but now like that gut feeling boom I was just gonna ask about your gut feeling do you yeah yeah I do now because in the past I didn't and now I do and I would say that it's pretty much and that's how I make my investments as well it's really like I went to this event yesterday with loads of angel investors and they were sort of asking about like how I made my decisions and I was just like most of the time it's just like meet the founder have a quick call boom that's it I think that's a good way to go about things, you know. I think you can tell a lot yeah. about people, you know. I mean, it's no different when you offer someone a job in a job interview. Exactly. Yeah, yeah people will do that every day of the week and not think anything of it. But then you think about investing, it's like, oh, it's a big, you know, got to look at every number. and. Yeah, and for me, you know, I'm only investing small amounts, like between two and five grand mainly as part of a collective. So, it, you know... And I'm doing multiple small investments. So there is obviously a risk, but like I'm yeah. kind of spreading my risk. And I believe if the founder is on it and I like them and they're doing something in an area I'm passionate about, then they'll probably make a success somewhere. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Tell me about something that you struggle with or find tough. Probably my anxiety, though that is much better since I've t- started taking my anti anxiety meds. But I'd say, well, previously, I think. When I was younger, I didn't struggle with it. And I think every child, I've got probably more anxious. I think it's just the load, the mental load and the responsibility. And, you know, having babies, it's like a big toll on your mental and physical well-being, I think. Hormones, right? Yeah, hormones. And then add to that, you know, working and everything else. And I felt like, you know, my I I think at some points my anxiety has been, you know, doable. But I think when I was ill... That was like such a, ma- you know, I was like living on knife edge the whole time. And mm. I really struggled with that. So I struggled with my mental well-being and, and I have, I hadn't really felt like I'd struggled that with that ever. I kind of just thought that, you know, the thought of someone taking anti-anxiety meds, I thought that was awful. I mean, I had to take beta blockers quite a long time for a while. And I remember previously like when one of my friends have said that I'd literally be thinking gosh that's awful that they're having to take beta blockers that's really serious you know why are they doing that mm. and I hadn't sort of just realized that you know it comes doesn't it and and, I'm, and I feel so much better now I'm, I'm in a totally different place because the long covid the hormones we move I moved my family to Wales it didn't work out I moved them back again I had these difficult clients I mean like everything was just like there was so much stress um and you know I suppose toxicity in some ways yeah that I just couldn't cope with it but I'd say that has been a big struggle but I've been definitely learning to deal with it and and actually I think a mix of like therapy changing my work doing what I love trying to get out and about saying no setting boundaries doing my anti-anxiety meds has been a massive game changer I think it's kind of amazing that you're so open about it and I mm. think that's great because not a lot of people are. And I think to your point, you just said about your friend on being on beta blockers, like, I guess that was a while ago, but your reaction to that was what it was. And actually, I think now that people like yourself are being more open, about it, especially because social media, right? A lot of people are being more open, probably not as many as should be, but a lot more. Mm. But it makes the rest of us, when we go through tough times, sort of feel a little bit 
better or like mm. we're not. I think that's all I want to do. Like, just be totally open about being, uh, you know, being a mum and trying to do be a female founder. I mm-hmm. can't pretend it's all easy. It's almost like I have to like share the reality because otherwise it's kind of lies. That's what I feel. Um, not lies, but like I feel like I can't just pretend it's this amazing thing where you know you have a great time, make loads of money. Not and Hollywood, it's all... is it? No, it's not. <laughs> and you know it brings its real challenges. I mean, we were talking about this yesterday, but like burnout is huge, and like female founders have loads of additional load as well. I think also for me, if I'd known that taking anti-anxiety meds and having therapy was just so normal and such a game changer and such a brilliant thing to do, and all my friends were telling me they were doing it and talking about it. I'd have done it ages ago, but it's because I didn't. And it's the same with HRT, actually. I'm on HRT and I tell all my friends about it. And I was like one of the first because this was all bundled in with my long COVID. And it's interesting because because I tell all of them about it, they're all now on it because they feel they know about it and they know that it's a possibility and they also know it can make them much better. So quite a challenge to get onto HRT. Well, basically, the so for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's hormone replacement therapy. So it's basically when you get older as a woman, you lose a lot of your hormones, and that obviously is very makes you feel incredibly weird. The thing with me is because I was sort of ill for so long and everything was bundled in together, it wasn't clear if it was like because before I had COVID, there was you know, I was like a totally there was no problems with my hormones, no problems with my mental health, really. You know, I was just like bit of a superwoman doing everything doing my pilates every day and then so what happened is I ended up seeing loads of different doctors I had loads of things wrong with me lots of physical and mental symptoms and no one sort of knew what it was and I think it was just this mix of like apparently COVID has um, really affected impacted people's hormones so it's put a lot of people into like early menopause or perimenopause so anyway to cut a long story short um I had I ended up having to see a private gynecologist who would be a person who could have prescribed it to me but while I was waiting for my appointment I had a night on my own in London when I'd been seeing another specialist about something else that was wrong with me and I woke in the middle of the night and had the most awful panic attack on my own at like four in the morning I was just literally did not know what's going on it was like I wasn't even lucid and I was so scared when I woke up that I called the doctor crying saying I need an emergency appointment now give it to me she then said what do you want and I said I want HRT and you know she sort of said what do you want you know I was crying she said what do you want me to do and I said I want you to give me HRT and she was just like okay okay fine and so she did which was great but I I'd also been reading lots of books and I what I said to all my friends is obviously I then told all my friends what I was taking and Mm. I would tell them what book to read or I tell them sort of what to go with so that you're prepared when you go to your doctor you basically just got to be prepared because not all of them they are getting more knowledgeable about it but um a lot of doctors won't prescribe it will they well they should and and, should, a, yeah, and a lot is changing now and I think previously there'd been some flawed um studies that showed that HRT caused various you know issues and it was actually a massively flawed study and now there's lots of studies that show there's loads of protection protection against um i think alzheimer's and lots of cancers and stuff like that um and obviously it protects your sanity and a lot of women um i think it's very high suicide rate in women who are sort of menopausal and perimenopausal so actually there's loads of benefits and i think i'd say most of my friends actually haven't had a problem getting it i think you just need to go armed with that information um, yeah. There's a brilliant book I read called The Perimenopause Solution, and you 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 almost be like, oh my gosh, that's me! I didn't know that was a symptom. You know, you got sore eyes and 
histamine allergies and all these kind of things. I kept, kept getting these things wrong with me. And I was thinking, you know, why are my eyes hurting? This is so weird. It's really um, interesting you say that. Mm. And I probably shouldn't tell you why that's interesting because I might get killed when this. <laughs> we get the book. Up. Get the book. The Perimenopause Solution. Also, the best thing was my husband and I had watched this program, the Davina McCall program. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's brilliant. Which is called The Menopause and Me. My husband I and I. haven't, but her book's supposed to be really good as well. Yeah. So that program is amazing. And I'd watched that with my husband before I started getting ill. And when I was watching it, I was like, when well, I'm 43, I was thinking this is going to be like maybe 10 years' time, six years' time. I was just thinking, very brilliant program, but definitely not me. Um, and it was my husband who said, you know, I was like lying in bed crying one day saying, like, I literally don't know what's wrong with me. I can't cope. And he was like, you've got perimenopause, you know, it's the perimenopause. You need. He was really pushing me to get it sorted. And um, bless him, he'd then done loads of research behind the scenes because, you know, it was also long COVID, but we didn't know about that at the time. But he had, like, done a lot of research and sort of looked all up and um, had... And I was kind of, I think, I can remember being a bit annoyed with him, like suggesting that it was a perimenopause, but he was kind of right, um, yeah. some of it. So yeah, that was a brilliant book and the um, programme was brilliant. And in fact, I was going to do a LinkedIn post. Um, Davina McCall was on Diary of a CEO. She's mm-hmm. talking about it and it was brilliant. And I just think every man and every woman should listen to that podcast episode because, you know... You're probably people are probably working with people who are going through the perimenopause and they don't understand what it's like. But if you listen yeah. to that, you'd have empathy. I will link to them all. Yeah, I'll send them to you. Where where was the TV program? What was that on? Do you know? Channel Four, I think it was like Davina called it something like the menopause and me or something. It was huge. I mean, it okay. basically also brought that taboo sort of taboo topic. Well, it, it has been up until recently, like out into the open. So, yeah. like, everybody's talking about it. And it's a huge market now, the menopause market. But, you know, still one that VCs don't cotton on to. <laughs> I can imagine. Let's talk about superpowers quickly. I believe mm. that everyone's got one. Mm. What would you say is yours? Connecting people, definitely. Yeah. Everyone tells me that, and it's what I love doing. And ages ago, I remember I had this mindset strategist stroke coach, and I did all these sort of tests, and he, it came out that I was a massive... He, connector and he was like you're gonna have a network you're gonna have some kind of a network or community and I was like oh I'd love to do that that sounds amazing I'd love to just have you always been like that being a connector yeah I think so and I just love helping people like I just love being like recommending stuff and like putting people together and saying oh you should speak to so-and-so and you know I think yeah and all my friends are really important you know I think I just enjoy being around people mm. Okay. And also, I would say numbers is maybe another one of my, but I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I've always been good at numbers and I've always enjoyed numbers and that's obviously also been really useful for me and my business. Just for those interested, myself included, what what was your business that you went to Dragon's Den with and that was the one you you exited, right? No, that was a failure. Oh. So we had multiple businesses. Um, we had about five businesses, me and my business partner. Three of them we exited successfully, sold. Two of them we sold to bigger networks and one of them we ended up closing down but we made a lot of money and the the, the business had just come to its natural end. Um, and the one that failed was the one that went on Dragon's Den. And then obviously the other failure is the one that I t- was telling you about where I basically had to the sound bath and had that. Yeah. Let's get rid of that. Um, so uh, the I one think I misunderstood you earlier then. So did, when you went on Dragon's Den, did you get back in? Yeah, we got back in. We got 200 yeah, grand. We got the biggest like... ever investment at the time. Oh. Who was your dragon? Theo. Okay. 
Yeah. That business failed. We valued it at two million. It had never made any money. Um, that was my math- mathematical skills that managed to do that. And then it failed about I don't know a year later. But interestingly, some of our friends who were doing something similar did go on to sell their business. They who set it up at the same time, almost oh, identical yeah. thing. They sold it for ten million. So it wasn't a totally bonkers valuation, though. It was a bit bonkers given it had never made any money. Was it a timing thing? Would it have been any different? No, it was that we used, um, potentially, I mean, we were very, very early to the market. We were like right at the forefront. And actually, that's where we were successful with a few of our businesses. We were sort of like, not disrupting, but we were very, very, very early. I think what happened is we used a supplier who wasn't fit for purpose. We got penalised in Google. We lost all our rankings, all our traffic, and we lost all our revenue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so lessons learnt there. Indeed. Do you watch Dragon's Den to this day? Do you still watch it? I do sometimes watch it. I'm not like an avid watcher, but I do watch it. I watch it sort of if it's there and I've got nothing else to do. I quite enjoy it. I think quite a few of our community have been on it, actually. And we're going to do, I was going to do, so I started doing LinkedIn audios rooms, which is like an hour, a bit like Clubhouse. And we're going to do one on um, Dragon's Den, but I haven't watched anything recently. Okay. I won't badger you about Dragon's Den. <laughs> Let's talk about so- talk about your soapbox. What topic is guaranteed to get you up on it? As if I couldn't. Make what do you guess. mean soapbox? Like what? What? What's the topic that you get passionate about because your uh, annoys you? Or well, I mean, I think female founders is something I'm super passionate about. That and well being and the whole sort of mental well being and the perimenopause. I mean, those are probably the things I talk about all the time. My children are like, oh god, not. They'll be either say not female founders rise not the menopause not not this again if I'm talking about the perimenopause or what's the other thing or like I talk a lot about sort of gut health and well-being and mindfulness or you know my breakdown long covid and they're like oh you know but those are things I'm all passionate about and I'm passionate about sharing them and hopefully helping other people who maybe are going through a similar situation on the topic of connecting people I'm going to introduce you to the guest I had yesterday Sam Flynn she's obviously a female founder she has a um, social media company, but she does a lot about digital well-being, which I found really interesting yesterday. And it's something that I hadn't really thought much about, mm. but, but I'm going to intro you to her yeah. afterwards. Do that. That's a um, connection. It is. Tell me about the best piece of advice you've ever heard. I think it's more like watching, like watching my first boss. She was just amazing. She was like, incredibly successful making loads of money but really treated her staff and her team really well she put us up in amazing hotels paid us really well took us to amazing fun restaurants and I was just like wow I want to be like you I want to be you know successful and making money but looking after the people that work for me so that was a great way to learn I think that's do you know I, I I I like that and the reason I like that is I was having this conversation with a few people recently about bad managers which is yeah. the opposite end of that and actually yeah. how many people have stories about bad leaders and bad managers. Yeah. Which really surprised me. Yeah, well, it's like the toxic client, isn't it? Bad, A bad boss or bad leader, you're with them all day, every day. It's like, ruins your life. Yeah, oh, 100%. But it's just amazed me. I've had several conversations with, sev- with lots of people this week about exactly that, and they all have three or four stories of that. Mm. And it just, I don't know, I just... I've had I've had one or two, but I mean, she was my first boss and she was amazing. And I still think about her as, you know, she was great. Are you still in touch? We're not actually. But interestingly, I did 
someone asked me that question a long time ago and I think it was about three or four years ago and I tried to track her down and I think I did just tell her that I said you're amazing you know I think you're amazing oh that's a nice thing to get out of blue on a, on a <laughs> message Emmy if we spoke again in 10 years time and you'd considered that to be a really successful decade what would have happened I would be jumping around, dancing around, doing my Pilates every day, having discos in the kitchen with my husband and giving him hugs and kisses. I would have my children all happy, popping in and out of the house with their boyfriends, their girlfriends, whatever they wanted to do. I'd be going on lots of nice holidays. I would be doing, Female Founders Rise would be global. So I would be going over to support the community in other countries that would be tied in with my holidays I would be doing probably have some kind of a fund you know through female founders rise some kind of collective which was investing in women and potentially underrepresented founders as well I probably have about 150 angel investments under my belt and hopefully have about 100,000 people in the wider community. Like I'm hoping to have 10,000 this year. So I think in 10 years, hopefully there would be 100,000 women that I had impacted in some way. But where are you up to now? We've got one and a half thousand people who've actually joined. And then in the sort of what there's 3,000, we've got about three and a half thousand followers on LinkedIn. So I mean, it depends. Some people would say that the LinkedIn is the community because you're impacting the people that are on there. And some people would say the members, but I'm I'm hoping to have actually 10,000 signed up members. Obviously, it kind of depends which way I go. Like if I very go super niche and I'm only helping a very specific subset of female founders, then it might be smaller. But yeah, I just hope I'm having a laugh. I hope I'm having a good time. I hope I'm healthy. I hope I'm sort of just jumping around live and having a nice drink in the evening and giving my husband cuddles and it's all happy. <laughs> I mean, that sounds pretty successful to me. Out of curiosity, do you have many men in the community? Yeah, we do. So Dan's an advisory board member. We've got three three founding advisory members. So the first, so 10, the first 10 people were women advisory members. And then I started bringing men in who've been big supporters. Loads of men have signed up, VCs, angels, men that want to, see change men that just that, believe in the that's kind of what i was gonna think like there must be there'll be men who see your content who listen to yeah this, like you think, might say yeah, you want to sign up yeah, exactly yeah, exactly well, i mean i've got two daughters right so this sort of stuff's really front of mind for me and it's like when it's particularly i mean I'll, I'll go back to caitlin's episode which i will link to it kind of blew my mind i was like is this what i want my girls to grow up into hmm, exactly i think most men do want change and therefore, I mean, at the moment, I've been so busy looking after the female founders that I've just been collating this, collecting the, the data, the people. And yeah. at some point very soon, hopefully this week or next week after we're doing loads of International Women's Day next week, and we've got men coming to that. The, but the men that are coming are either founding advisory members, VCs, angels, people that are somehow there to help. But then I'll send an email. And, and obviously those people, they might want to like you, you know, you're interviewing me so I can share my story. It might be people that want to do pitch practice with help the female founders with pitch practice or mentor them or do a masterclass for them or invest in them or share a light on their stories or even just like and comment on my posts, which means that more people get to see what we're doing at Female Founders Rise. Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. But last question then, 
And this was from my previous guest. And I will ask you for a question for my next guest. Mm. What's one thing you realised you wasted time worrying about? The children sleeping through the night. (laughs) (laughs) How old are your kids? 13, 11, 9 and 5. But sometimes, like, you know, as a mum, if you get woken up, for me, I really need my sleep. And if I got woken up in the night, I'd really struggle the next day or I'd have that mental, maybe anxiety that I would struggle. Mm-hmm. And I need my sleep. And I just remember I used to worry a lot about, like, if, for example, they were poorly, that then I'd be up all night. And I remember, obviously, this is another time maybe I'd had a bit of therapy or something, but I'd done some CBT and she said, but you're just imagining the worst thing. What what if they just sleep through the night? You give them some medicine and they sleep through the night. And then I was like, oh, okay. So I went to bed that night after I'd had the CBT and there'd been some, you know, some crying and I'd given them some medicine. And I thought, I'm just not going to worry about this. And I woke up at seven o'clock the next morning and everything was fine. And I was like, oh, there we go. So I think I waste a lot of time worrying about I mean, it depends when you talk when you talk to me. Like, if it had been a year ago, I'd be worrying about what the hell is wrong with me. I can't think about anything else about that. Yeah. If it's now, my biggest worry is I need to lose a few pounds because I don't know why. Because maybe all this, maybe my medications made me put on a bit of weight. And who is my niche for female founders rise? So you know, like my my worry is like, but I don't know the big the big worry. I don't know. I feel like. I don't know if there was... I think it probably is that. I think it's probably worrying about the children. Yeah. Stuff you can't control. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah, we have the same issue in our house. Sleep. You know, they'll go for a week and it'll be like perfect sleep through a pair of them. Do you know what actually... Do you know what actually thinking about it? This is... And this is a bit sad. My... I was anorexic when I was younger. And um, not for very long, but I think it always stays with you. I worry... And I'm trying to, and I think as you get older, you worry less. Mm. And I think this is like what so many women and girls worry about. You spend so much time worrying about your body, what you look like, what you're eating, if you've had too much, if you're going on a diet. Like for me, and I maybe not everyone's like this, but I know a lot of women are because I've spoken to them. There's a lot of talk in your head about all those things, constant for some people. And that is so much wasted energy because, you know, I remember just quickly, like my husband had an accident once and we were in hospital and you do not care about anything to do with your body or the size of your legs or anything like that when, um, when someone's poorly. So I think that would be probably the thing that I've wasted most of my time worrying on. And it's been so great to be part of this. Thank you. Depending on how good the editing was, it may come as a surprise or no surprise to you that we had a few technical issues during that episode with Emmy. First of all, I want to say a huge, huge thanks to Emmy for being such a great guest and despite the technical problems and challenges, taking it on like a champion. She was fascinating to hear from and as I said to her later on, I, I could have talked to her for hours. I really could. Like She's such an interesting person and she's got so many stories and such... She's so open about everything, which in this day and age is powerful because, you know, we sometimes social media is very much a highlight reel for many. And, you know, I ch- I have challenges as much as the next person. And sometimes hearing people who we perceive as being super successful, like Emmy, going through the same things, it's it's obviously not nice for her to go through, but it's nice to hear from from my standpoint. So thank you for sharing that, Emmy. 
I highly encourage you all to go and check out what Emmy's building, Female Founders Rise, whether you are female or not. I think it's powerful. It needs the voice, the um, stuff needs to be shared. And I think what Emmy's doing is really good. It's interesting as well, actually, not just for the righteous amongst us. It is a good uh, initiative. So check her out on LinkedIn. Check out Female Founders Rise on LinkedIn. I will put all links in the show notes so you can check them out there. But from me, um, that was 10Q interview with Emmy Faust, who is a successful entrepreneur in her own right, a successful mother, but she's now leading Female Founders Rise. If you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. Emmy was a terrific guest. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you've subscribed wherever you're listening to this. If you did get any value out of it, a review or a star rating would be hugely appreciated. The next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Thank you.